Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, The reading is taken from Galatians chapter 6, the first 10 verses. Brothers, sorry, I'm going to do it like that. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Thank you, Susanna. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning and have this opportunity to share with you for this harvest service. I'd like to speak this morning from Galatians chapter 6 about reaping a spiritual harvest. In verse 1, it says, My friends, if anyone is detected in transgression... You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, if anyone's gone astray in the church, we're to gently guide them back to God and the right path. The New Living Translation puts it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. We can see that Paul addresses the possibility of sin happening in the Galatian church and the right response to that. He knows that they're going to slip up, they're going to fall short of those standards he set out in the previous chapter And it's interesting that he calls them brothers and sisters, or his friends in the version I have. And at Lynn Baptist Church, we're a family, aren't we? And the Galatian church were God's family. They belong to each other through their faith in Christ. And we belong to each other through our faith. I believe God's brought us together from our different backgrounds and experiences to serve him and reap a harvest together. And we need to be thankful for having each other, don't we? I don't think we'd do very well without each other. And we need to be praying for each other and showing gentleness to each other. Max Lucado says these words, I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it only be in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it only be of myself. 
we need to be using this fruit of the spirit of gentleness. Now, gentleness also translates as meekness, and that is not weakness. It does involve humility, and it involves polite and restrained behavior towards other people. And the opposite is anger or a desire for revenge. Ralph W. Stockman says, Nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing is so gentle as real strength. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 25, it talks about how the Lord's servant mustn't be quarrelsome, but must be kindly to everyone and be an apt teacher who's patient, who's correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth. Now I looked up this word gentleness in Wikipedia and it describes it really well. It describes it as a strong hand with a soft touch, a tender, compassionate approach towards others, weaknesses and limitations. A gentle person still speaks truth, but sometimes even painful truth but in doing so guards his tone so that truth can be well received. Now Philippians 4 verse 5 tells us to let our gentleness be known to all. We need to show gentleness within God's family, but also to people outside the church who don't know Christ so that we can witness his love to them. We need to accept people as they are, as Christ accepted us as we are and forgave us. And that might be even if we disagree with their lifestyle choices. We need to love people so that we can gently lead them to Christ and not come across as if we're judging them. Now, I think all this can put you in a difficult position in life sometimes, can't it? You've got to show gentleness to all. might mean you have to show gentleness to two people who don't like each other very much or are in opposition to each other. And you need to try to remain impartial. And I think that can be hard sometimes. And let's face it, it's a challenge, isn't it, to be gentle with those who are closest to us, with our families at home. I had a bit of an accident the other day. Um, I was dusting the cobwebs. We get a lot of spiders in our house. And I knocked the um, bathroom clock down. So um, it's broken, unfortunately. Ben has ordered us this new clock. And I really hope it works. We're going to sit the children in front of it when we we think they actually need, need to. We need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us so that we're filled with the fruit of gentleness. We need to place our strength under God's guidance because gentleness is a powerful tool for his kingdom and we need to pray for gentleness. It's not about being soft so someone doesn't realize their sin, but it confronts that sin in a mild, loving and encouraging way. 
And the great thing is that Jesus offers his gentleness to us as a gift. In Matthew 21, verse 5, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it says, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. In other translations, it uses the word humble. We can see how he took on the role of a servant. He came gently on that donkey. He didn't enter Jerusalem as a triumphant king on a horse, raging war. He gave up his pride and his position to be a servant king who went to the cross in our place, who sacrificed himself for our sin. And so we are also called to be servants. We're not to think of ourselves as better or superior to other people, but we're to support each other. Galatians 6, verse 1 to 2. Sorry, I skipped on too far there. Galatians 6, verse 1 to 2 goes on to say, Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The New Living Translation says, Share each other's burdens. And then in verse 3, it says, for those who are nothing, think they are, if they think they're nothing, sorry, for if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. It's easy, isn't it, to deceive ourselves about our own importance. In the world's eyes, in your workplace, you might be quite an important person. But the basis of Christian understanding is that we can do nothing for our salvation and we need Christ. And when it comes to living the Christian life, we're completely dependent on the strength and guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's easy sometimes, isn't it, to forget to notice people in the workplace. Um, For my living, I write minutes um, for other people's meetings and sometimes I, I get ignored and I get forgotten about. I'm the silent person in the room. And people don't always treat me in the way they'd like to be treated. And we need to do that as Christians in the workplace, don't we? We need to treat people, everybody the same, so that our gentleness is known to all. I don't think we can judge other people because we might be in their position or in their circumstances if we'd had their background. You know, Jesus emptied himself. In Philippians 2, verse 6 to 7, it says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. To be gentle, we need to empty ourselves of our pride and our status. We need to be a servant. Everything we have is from God, including our situations and backgrounds. We need to remember that we don't have a monopoly on this country and we need to share it. We need to reach out in compassion to the refugees who are swarming across Europe to this human tragedy. And if you're in a position of power or authority, 
You need to use that to serve others, to encourage them, and show them a spirit of gentleness as Christ did. And we need to remember that we're all sinners. In verse 4, it says, We must not be proud, but test our own work and not others. We need to concentrate on our own task of serving God and not compare ourselves to others. In Matthew 7, verse 5, it talks about how you must first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And that was the verse that really spoke to me the other week as I was praying before the service. Because it's so important that we don't judge other people. In verse 5 it says, all must carry their own loads. We need to be carrying our own workload and not comparing it to what somebody else may or may not be doing. We need to focus on our own task of serving God and not judge other people. Um, Where I work, people are quite keen on having a look at each other's outlook calendars to find out if they've got more work than they have. And they might raise that with management if they have a problem. I have absolutely no time to do that. I'm absolutely chock-a-block with work. We need to scrutinize ourselves, don't we? Not other people. Now, I will say some of us can be a bit prone to overtake, overdoing work. We can take on a lot of jobs and we might get frustrated with other people who might seem to do less practically. I can be a bit guilty of that one. But having a spirit of gentleness means we actually need to take time out, don't we? doing some of the endless practical tasks. We need to spend time listening and getting to know people. Might mean spending time in prayer for people. And it's great that people are praying before the service, which I believe supports the people leading the service. And that people will pray with others after the service. And I'd encourage you to get involved with that. In verse 7, it talks about reaping what you sow and how a person who harvests will reap exactly what he sows. So if a farmer sows wheat, he's not going to reap barley. And that applies to the way we live. What we sow determines our ultimate harvest. And life's a continued process of sowing and reaping. I'd just like to tell you a story about a millionaire who was at a church meeting and he was a very wealthy man who rose up to the, tell everyone present about his Christian faith. He said, I'm a millionaire and I attribute it all to the rich blessings of God in my life. I remember that turning point in my faith, I just earned my first dollar and I went to a church meeting that night. The speaker was a missionary told me about his work. I knew I only had a dollar and I had to either give it all to God's work or nothing at all. So at that moment I decided to give the whole dollar to God. 
And I believe God has blessed that decision, and that's why I'm a rich man today. He finished, and there was an awed silence. And he went to his seat, and a little old lady in the same pew leaned over and said to him, I dare you to do it again. Do we dare? (laughs) Sorry, I didn't realize that was that funny. (laughs) Do we dare to get out of our comfort zones? In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, it says, The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. We can sow in our own nature, or we can sow in the Spirit. To sow in your own nature, you limit yourself, you focus on your earthly bodily interests as more important, and they will actually die or decay. Many of you might remember in the game of life, um, we um, on holiday stay in our folding camper and we have no television or entertainment in, in the modern world. So we went to a charity shop and we found this game. The kids love it. They keep insisting on playing it. But in a way, it has a very limited view of life, doesn't it? It's all about reaching millionaire's mansion and the winners, the person who has the most money, Zach's doing really well at getting the most money but it's not the ultimate aim of the Christian life, it's about so much more and we need an eternal perspective on things because this life isn't the end, we have eternity won for us by Christ so we need to focus on sowing in the spirit and seeing our spiritual lives as more important than our secular experiences. We need to devote our energy into what God wants us to do and calls us to do for his kingdom, not devote our energy into things for our personal gain. We need to be giving generously of our time and resources to God. We need to get our priorities right. It's easy to get a bit self-absorbed and not to think about other people. I've focused a lot on my own fitness in the last year. Um, I took up doing park run um, just before last December. And I got a lot out of um, seeing if I can beat my personal best. I've done really well at getting my times down. And I've enjoyed doing it. But as well as being physically fit... It's more important that I'm spiritually fit. And I took Zach up to Parkrun with me the other week. And you're not actually going to believe it, but Zach runs slower than me. And I had to go at Zach's pace. And I didn't get the time I was capable of getting. But I did get a lot of pleasure out of seeing him complete the course and encouraging him. And I know he's going to leave me far, far behind one day. When we're running the spiritual journey, we need to support each other to reach the goal. It might mean you've got to run at somebody else's pace for a while. It might mean you miss out on doing something that you want to achieve for yourself. It might mean taking five or ten minutes out of your day to talk to someone and pray for them. 
So verse 9 to 10 really sums things up in this passage. It says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. We can see how Paul urges his readers not to grow weary, but to persevere to reap a spiritual harvest. We can grow weary at times, can't we, if we've prayed for someone for a long time and nothing seems to change, or we've helped someone for years who doesn't seem to change. But we need to strive to work for them despite personal cost to ourselves, and especially for those in the church whom God has given us as a family who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, let us not grow weary. It's not talking about doing this work on your own. And we are given strength to do that work by his spirit. The Galatian church were poor. They'd been rejected by those around them, perceived as a sect, And so they relied on each other. And I think we need to capture something of that and rely on each other so we reap a spiritual harvest within our family of faith. I was reading Daily Bread the other day and I found a spiritual checkup. It says this, Do I love God with all my heart because he first loved me? Which is stronger, my desire for earthly gain or the treasures that are mine in Christ? He desires that his peace rules our hearts. Do I love God with all my soul? Do I listen to God telling me who I am? Am I moving away from self-centered desires? Am I becoming a more compassionate, kind, humble and gentle person? Do I love God with all my mind? Do I focus on my relationship with his son? Or do I let my mind wander wherever it wants to go? Do my thoughts lead to problems or solutions, to unity or division, forgiveness or revenge? Do I love God with all my strength? Am I willing to be seen as weak so God can show his strength on my behalf? Am I relying on his grace to be strong in his spirit? As we let the message of Christ dwell among us richly with all wisdom, he will equip us to build each other up as we become spiritually fit and useful to him. Amen.